0: Good morning. The world we live in today, it's pretty hard to not be pulled into sin, but the good news is is if we confess those sins, they will be forgiven. This morning's confession is a bidding style. I'll read the line and you can take a moment to search your heart and uh, pray uh, about those things. Lord God, we come before you in confession. We confess our lack of of enthusiasm for spiritual matters. For our unconcern for those who don't know Christ. For the apathy we have towards families that are being broken. For the helpless feelings we have about the world. Sovereign God, help us to trust you more and through the power of Christ make a difference. Amen. Our assurance of forgiveness this morning comes from 1 Peter 1 verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again, because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. Our guidelines for living this morning comes from 1 Peter 1, verse 14. So you must live as God's obedient children, Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God, who chose you, is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy.
1: We continue to worship. Please stand if you can and let's share these uh, songs together. Steve, if you notice, is not here today, so you have to bear with me. You're gonna have to sing louder so you can't hear my guitar playing. Um, And so uh, Yeah Steve had the he thinks he's got the flu, so we're grateful that he didn't come today. (laughs) Oh, got the wrong song. Sorry so grateful for what you've given to us, the blessings of life. For giving us material blessings and also giving us eternal life. Lord, we just pray that you'll use these gifts of these saints who give because of their love and to honor your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. It <coughs> is Father in heaven, we just give you praise and thanksgiving for the ability that we have to lay before you our concerns, our worries, and our fears. This morning especially, Father God, we come to you and we're concerned about our world. Lord, we lift up all those faithful Christians in Afghanistan and the people that are suffering in afghanistan now that the taliban has taken over the country we pray father god for all the veterans in our nation that put their lives on the line for that land and now are traumatized because it's been lost and walked away from i just pray father god that you'll give wisdom to our leaders To do and to take care of business there and and to Lord to get everybody out of there and also for those that are left behind those who helped us and helped desire the freedom for that country and instead now it's gone back I just pray for them father that you will be with them in the battle that they are in I think Heavenly Father too for this nation and all that's going on in it we think of the crime and violence that continues to surge in our cities of people being shot people being um, murdered and some of it is so just so senseless I pray for families that have to deal with the loss of a loved one through that violent crime We thank you too, Father God, for your protection as our sisters here today to give witness to that. I pray, Father God, too, for um, the challenges in all of our lives. The things that are a battle for us. I thank, Father God, for those who are going through some health issues right now. We think especially of our dear elder um, Frank Wonka, who continues to on hospice and continues to strive to breathe i pray that you'll give peace of mind to him as his breathing is getting shallower give him strength lord we pray for healing for him we know that you're a god of great power and can do it i pray that you'll be with him and carol and their family as they walk through this difficult journey that they're on right now i pray also father too um, for lucille And for the health issues she's been having, for Kay, who's now getting around but still is hampered by her health. I pray also, too, it was good to see Betty this morning and for her recovery. We pray also for her husband Howard and his uh, head and his brain and what's going on there right now. I pray you'll give the doctors wisdom. I pray also, too, Father God, for those who've lost loved ones and I think of the missionary uh, uh, that is uh, down in Florida right now who lost his wife, Michelle. I pray that you'll be with Mitch and his children as they sort through and the loss that they have of covid to his wife and mom of those kids. I pray also too, father for Mary and also Joyce. I pray also, too, for those others that are homebound right now with back issues and problems. I pray for a man who's got cancer, Chris, and the challenges that he has. I pray also, too, Father God, for those who are dealing with addictions, for Ryan and Jordan and Dave and Brady and Eric and Ricky, the trauma, trauma that they go through every day and trying to deal with that. I pray also, too, uh, Lord, for um, the difficulties that some people are having with their marriages right now and the brokenness that comes with that and the things that happen through that. Lord, I just pray uh, they see that Jesus wants to be the leader in their home and can be over that marriage and healing can come to that marriage and many great things can go with that. I pray also for the kids that are going back to school, whether they're going far away to college or they're in town here. We know some of the traffic jams that have been happening because of um, schools opening and for the challenges of that. But also, too, for the kids in school and how, too, with the COVID and this new variant that's out there, Lord, that um, Lord, you protect them and put a bond around them so that they don't experience that. Pray also too, Father God, for this day as we um, hear from your word, Lord, speak to us. We need to hear a good word. We need your word to speak to us because it's eternal and it has right things for us to need to hear. And Father, now I ask you, Lord, that you work in us to listen and also that your Holy Spirit will give us the ability to implement in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What would you guess to be the biggest command in the Bible that has the most frequency of being told to encourage us? Would it be love? Would it be faith? Would it be to trust in God? All those are great ones. But there's one that's in particular that we're going to look at today. It's not about guarding yourself for your purity, or it's not about moral integrity. What it talks about, and the most frequent one that is commanded is, and it happens 365 times that you can have one a day. And the prophet Isaiah says that God's word says, Do not be afraid. Fear, anxiety. God was concerned that he said to his children of Israel, do not fear. You know, there's a lot of fears that go on in our lives. There's fear of flying. How many people know of people who have fear of heights? Or how about of snakes? Or how about of mice? Or how about those nice, creepy little crawlers that come out, even after the exterminators come and they still come, and you find one in your bed sheets at night? How many are fearful of loneliness or failure? How many people are afraid of insignificance that nobody recognizes them? It's very easy to fear. In fact, in the first husband and wife, they had fear. They out tried to become gods as Satan promised them. But when in the garden and God came looking for them, the words came out of Adam's mouth, I heard that you were in the garden and I was afraid. Afraid of God. Here God who had personally been with them and created them and took care of them, he was afraid of God because he disobeyed God and he was fearful. Well, in today's passage, this is a problem for the children of Israel, especially the children of Judah. They were afraid. They were feeling, as they were carted off into exile, that they were abandoned by God. And here God was punishing them, but out of love, and that he would rescue them later on, And they even had a hard time believing that even before this all took place. God promised to them that not only would He take them away for a while, but then bring them back and restore them. But sometimes, you know as well as I do, sometimes our anxieties are because that's a long time. In fact, for the Israelites, it was a long time. And when we're broken, when we're going through something that's not easy for us to deal with, it's pretty hard to wait on the Lord and not to fear and think that he has blown us off and doesn't care about us anymore. But now here, the prophet Isaiah helps us to face our fears about abandonment God. That God doesn't doesn't abandon us, but he promises us, he is with us. Look at with me this morning in our passage. But now thus says the Lord, the creator, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, What we here have is God is saying to us, look, I made you. I made you for a special purpose, Israel. You were no nation at all. I could have picked Egypt. I could have picked a lot of bigger nations with a lot on the ball. You were nothing, and I brought you together to love you. And for us, there are times that you and I feel that. We feel like maybe that God has abandoned us. Sometimes people in our world today, you know, they believe in the big bang theory and they believe in that all the simple carbon-based forms formulated together and by one big bang, it came together. And they don't see the intellectual design that is in all of us, the DNA structure, the way the universe is structured. And they don't understand that it took some divine design and not just one poof to put it together. And here, the word of God says to us, and it's beautiful. He says, I've created you. I made you. We see that come out in Psalm 139. He says, even while you were in your mother's womb, I was fashioning your DNA. I was fashioning you to have this genetic structure and this way and personality in you so that I could use you. And I've made you for a special purpose. And I have not abandoned you. Even though at times you've walked away from me, I is still there waiting for you. And here the the prophet Isaiah is bringing the word of God and say, you are special to me because I've created you. And I've made you for a special purpose. And then he says, do not fear because I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. And what he's talking about here is how God works in our lives and how he brought us back. He brought Israel back here. Israel thought that it was over. And that when God would send them off and and carry them off through Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel and all those would be scattered all throughout the world, that it was over for Israel. It was not over for Israel. God had a plan for them to come back and learn the obedient way and to follow him. And that he paid a great price for them to bring them back. You know, it's interesting How hard is that for us to understand sometimes? I work with people who really struggle with whether or not God really loves them, especially after they have guilt over something they've done in the past or something they're doing now and how difficult it is and how God's precious love works.
0: ...and flown home from LaGuardia
1: Airport in New York City. And we you know anything about Mayor LaGuardia, he was a great mayor. He cleaned up the streets. He took on the mob. He really did a great job. But before he was mayor, he was also a judge. He was a judge at night court. And during the Depression, this woman had wanted to feed her family. Had no money, and so she stole she stole the bag of bread and just so happened that an officer was going by and the, the owner saw her steal it and the officer grabbed her as she came out of the store. And the owner wanted to prosecute her. And so they brought her in and during the night court on the docket, it was her turn and she came forward with her attorney and she confessed what she had done. And Judge LaGuardia, after he heard what she had said, he said, guilty. You'll have me fined this 15 cents of bread, you'll be fined $10. Big money in those days. And she didn't have a dime. And then what he did, he got up from his chair and he took his robe off. And he put it in his chair. And then he walked down in the courtroom and stood at the defense table. And he opened his wallet up and paid the fine. And you see, that's what Jesus Christ has done for us. He's paid the fine. As Isaiah is telling these people, he's redeemed you. And that he calls you by name. That's a very special connotation that God does when he calls a person by name. You see, because it's very personal. We see this in the Bible again, the picture of God's beautiful love and forgiveness in the book of Hosea. Hosea was a prophet in that time too. How Israel had wandered away and she committed adultery with all the other nations. And Hosea, God says to him, Hosea, your life is going to reflect what the children of Israel have done. And he married this girl called Gomer. And then what she did after they had children, she went out and prostituted herself, liked the attention of men, liked the money. And God says to Hosea, go back, because now she's fallen into tough times. And now they are selling her on the slave block as a prostitute, and go buy her back. And Hosea goes, and they're asking for a certain price. 15 shekels and they're bidding for her and he not only puts down 15 shekels but he adds bushels of wheat to barley to bring her back to buy her back and it's sold back to him and you see like God's of he put his own flesh and blood on the line for us and then what Hosea then does next just like God he doesn't say to her, "Okay, now I paid a lot of money for you. You're going to work yourself out of that." I spent a- no, that's not what he did. He did not say, "Look, for leaving me, you're going to pay the price girl." No. He didn't do that. What does he do? He says, "Gomer, I love you. I want you to be my wife. I want you to raise our children." I want you to be an honorable woman. You see, that's what God does for us. His love is that kind of love that's consuming and wants to bring us in and wants us to experience the joy that he has for us in our lives. And that it's expensive. Christ spent, God spent his own son's blood, the most expensive thing in all of eternity, to win us back and to redeem us out of our sinful selves so that we could follow him and that he calls us by name. Dave, come to me. Scott, come to me. I have your name, I love you. I want you to be mine. Cole, I love you, I want you to be mine. And we don't be afraid that he knows our name because that's a privilege. We're his children then. We're held in his hand. And the Bible tells us that when we're held in his hand, that not even Satan, who would attack us, could ever pull us out of that hand that is so strong that holds us, Jesus says. And that we realize what God is saying. He says, I want the back. Not only do I want them back, but I've wiped out their sins. <laughs> Look at what he says in Isaiah 44:22. I have wiped out your transgressions like a thick cloud. Your sins like a heavy mist. Return to me for I have redeemed you. He is not saying that he just blew it off. He pushed it aside. No, he paid the price and he wiped out that cloud of guilt. He wiped out that sin in our lives. No matter what we've done, he's done it. I can remember a little girl that lived behind us in New Jersey. Beautiful little gal. But when she got into junior high, she got into drugs. And she progressed in her drugs to the point where she became a heroin addict, and a prostitute. And Phyllis lived a very promiscuous life. She would hitchhike to the George Washington Bridge and pick up Johns and get involved in the car with them or pull off to a scenic site. And I can remember when I first met her and we started to talk, how she could not believe the words I was telling her that God would forgive her. She said, Pastor Dave, you don't know what I've done. You know what the kind of person I am. You know the things that I have done and took part in. Some of the people that you know that are prominent people, of what I did with them, and how I basically, some of them, I've destroyed their marriages. Pastor Dave, God could never forgive me. And we went on with this for several years. Until one day, just before she died, the Holy Spirit touched her heart. And she believed that Christ could forgive her. And the guilt was lifted up. And he forgave her and she experienced that see, it's very easy to get despondent about something that we've done in the past. Something that we're embarrassed about today. And if people would find out, we'd be so totally embarrassed. But God knows. And that's why he sent his precious son. You see, the despondent person becomes so enwrapped in their sinfulness that they can never let themselves go to experience the forgiveness of Christ. And they wander into sometimes even a depression. And it affects how they feel about themselves. But look what God says. I've redeemed you. I've taken away that guilt and those transgressions and those clouds and wiped them away. I didn't blow them away and, or blow them off. I dealt with them for you. And then he says another promise. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. And you walk through the fire. You will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. Christians, this is our walk. This is the way God builds us. But notice what he says, no matter what you go through in this life, no matter what the circumstances, he is by your side every step of the way. He doesn't walk away from you and abandon you. See, Israel was afraid that God had abandoned them and they'd never be able to get back to Israel. That they'd never be restored to Jerusalem. That the temple was in disarray and that it was flattened. No. God's not like that. But he deals with us through a season. And he walks through the difficulties of life. If you ever want to read a tremendous book, John Bunyan's book, Pilgrim's Progress, is a phenomenal book. During that time, John Bunyan was stuck in prison for preaching the gospel. And he had quite a few children. And his wife was left alone to care for them. They didn't have social services. They didn't have food pantries. They didn't have... But she survived taking care of these children while he was in prison, not making a dime. And during that time, he wrote this book, Pilgrim's Progress, because that's the life that we go through. And it's amazing what he talks about. He says he starts out in in this... Pilgrim is named Christian. And what it is, it's an allegory about our lives and how we go through life. It's a powerful book. And what John Bunyan writes is the man's name who is walking through this life is called Christian. And he leaves the city of destruction, which is living in this world. And he starts walking towards, and his goal now is to the celestial city, which is heaven. And that's our goal. And as he goes along, there's all kinds of dangers and temptations out there. You know it. You live in this world like I do. And first, he runs through Sloth of Despond, which is this place where it's a pit where your fears and your doubts deny or or struggle with your Christianity and whether God is really going to give save you. Then he runs across a man by the name of Worldly Wise. Who directs him to the smoothest path and the widest path. (laughs) That's the world's way. And he tries to get Christian to go along the way because it's a very comfortable path. It's the easiest path. But it's the wrong path. And when he finally gets back on track. He climbs, has to climb out of that. Difficulty. Climbing and sweating and struggling to get back on the path that God has called him to. All the way, he's running into people. You see them, you know. They're there that they've given up the path. Oh, it's too hard. The dangerous journey, I'd rather be the smooth path. And Christian is struggling all alone except that he knows his God is with him. And we are reminded that no matter what your path is, God is with you. He doesn't promise to remove us from the battle. But he has us in the battle for a purpose that we were created for. And that he is there by our side as we deal with all the other things. And there's nothing worse than spiritual disaster when somebody says, I give up on God. And I'm going to stop the journey, or I'm going to go back. That's the worst thing, and it's so easy to do it. It's so easy to get discouraged when you see other people doing so well who are not following God, and that are being. David struggled with this in the psalm when he said, "Look, God, look at the bad guys," and, and God says to him, "Fret not against evil doers, even though they're getting ahead in this life. Don't follow their path." Instead, follow me. I was reading about a man who this happened to. Very prominent man. His name is Ben Zobrist. He's one of the stars on the Chicago Cubs baseball team. And Ben was a prominent player, and but he was struggling. Him and his wife were having difficulties, and... They started attending to their, uh, they, they were strong churchgoers. She was even a prominent Christian singer. But something was going on and their marriage was not right. And so they went to see their pastor. And they began to counsel with the pastor. And even the pastor would even console Ben when his, his wife seemed to be rebellious. And not wanting to do things with her husband. And then one day, his wife handed him the divorce papers. And here he found out that his dear friend and spiritual leader, Pastor, was having an affair with his wife. Now, you see, it could be so easy for Ben to give it up and say and question his faith, especially since he really thought a lot about this pastor being his close friend and encourager for his marriage. And here, the guy was stealing his wife. And it got worse. His wife divorced him, the pastor's wife. pastor divorced his wife, and they got married. And in this crisis, Ben continued to go before God and have God carry him through this. And what Ben did... Was powerful. He quit baseball to go back and try to save his marriage. He went back and tried to take care of his children because they were his number one priority. And all millions of dollars, no matter how much he made, did not make any sense without him putting it down on the line so he could make his marriage work and honor God. And Ben to this day still follows the Lord. Even though he went through such a very devastating, very disappointing, and discouraging situation, God carried him through that because he knew that God was with him during that. That's the promise that God gives us as we walk through the difficulties of life, and some of them will seem overwhelming. God is there. And he doesn't reject you. He loves you. And he wants to be on your side and is there for you. I read of a terrible story of a pastor who had to deal with a man who was an executive in Hollywood out in California. And the executive was a very powerful man and making a lot of money and it was a member of his church but his son turned on to in- addiction, got into drugs. His son ran away from home and got into the drug culture. And the pastor, for two years, looked for this kid and finally found him in Hollywood, on the streets. And he brought him in and he worked with him. And finally, the young man gave his life to Christ. And that day, the pastor called the father and said, I found your son. And he said he gave his life to Christ and he wants to live for Christ. And the father said, Well, that's, I don't really care about that. I just want to know if he's got his hair cut and if he's been bathed and he's going to apologize to his mother. And the pastor was very sad that he had it on speaker phone because that young man got up and walked out of that study. Never to be seen again. That's not God. His love is not conditional. He loves you. And is by your side. He's redeemed you. And that he, in spite of what we've done, wants us back and accepts us as we are. You see, because he's the restorer. Look at what it says here. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and gather up from the west and from the north. Give them up. And the south, do not hold them back. Bring them, your my sons afar and my daughters in my name, whom I've created for my glory, whom I've formed, whom I've made. He's still caring for those who he's created. And he's saying to them, let go of them, you people who have them in your grasp. And what he's saying to the children of Israel, come back. I will bring you back. And he does. He restores Israel. And he would restore Israel later on. He brings it home. Sometimes we feel like the church... Sometimes I see leaders who are discouraged because they don't think the church has any validation in the world. We have a tremendous validation. We need to see it and go in the power of the Holy Spirit and share the true message of the gospel. And that the visible church be seen, even if it's in disarray, that God is in control and will bring deliverance. And God does. (laughs) You know, Nebuchadnezzar before the technology of that day took this river that had been running through Babylon and divided it up because he needed more water and other resources. And the technology of that day, they did that. And they made places that were deserts, made places where they could grow things. And it was, everything was blooming. And technology, their technology of that day was really advanced. But you see, God had it so that the river that they fed from all that began to be dry enough so that the Medes and the Persians could go in and take over Babylon. And when the Medes and the Persians came in, they were the ones who released the Jews back to Jerusalem, back to Israel. And so they could rebuild the walls and rebuild the temple. And Isaiah, folks, is sharing this from 200 years before it happens. There are people who have a hard time believing this. But you see, that's God's providence. He has it all under control and he knows. In fact, we find that there's some commentators who have a hard time believing that Isaiah could even use the name of Cyrus because he wasn't even born yet. But you see, that's our God. He sent a deliverer to Bethlehem and he promised and he talked about it in the Old Testament hundreds of years before it ever taken where he would be born in Bethlehem, that he'd have to take the flight into Egypt. All those things were said thousands of years before Christ even entered the earth. Because why? Because God's an eternal God and he's a God of providence. And he can make it happen because as we know this eternal God, and this is one of the struggles I have helping some of the kids in the class um, to understand how great God is. Because this is history. This is the amount of time on earth that we all have and that world has been created from to the time it's going to end. And God sees it all from eternal perspective. He knows exactly when and where and how everything's going to take place. That's why he could say Cyrus because he knew it was Cyrus. He had appointed Cyrus. Look what it says. Thus says the Lord to Cyrus his anointed, whom I have taken by my right hand and subdued nations before him to loose the loins of kings, to open doors before him so that the gates will not be shut. He's saying Cyrus is going to be the deliverer that I send, who's a pagan, but I'm going to use him to set the Israelites free. And Cyrus is going to go back and even give them money to rebuild the walls and to rebuild the temple. And we see that with Ezra and Nehemiah. This is the God that we serve. He has it all in his hand, all in his plan. And it's so phenomenal that people have a hard time believing that. That God could even name Cyrus 200 years before it even were to take place. Because they have a low view of God. They can't see it. And see, this God is an amazing God. In Isaiah 40-48, through he makes it clear (laughs) that he's going to do this. And set it forth in history. And that Israel be rebuilt. We even see it today. That Israel is back in Palestine. We saw some of that even after 1948 when they reclaimed that territory. From 600, God still reminds us that he's in control. This whole COVID thing is reminding us that God is in control. And when man thinks that his development, the Bible says in Psalm 12, it says God laughs at us because we think we've got all these technological advances and everything is great and we're all in control and then God sends COVID and we have people scrambling. And then he sends a variant. We're having a hard time controlling it. Why? God's sending a message, America. Half a million people have died in this country from COVID. What does that say to you? That's more. In fact, it's 623,000 to be exact that have died in this country. That's more than that's happened in the Civil War, which was the most bloodiest war that we had on earth for American deaths. And God is saying that. You see, there's open theists in the church who want to say that God basically goes along with us and he's trying to figure out what to do because he's puzzled about everything that's taken place. That's not the God of Isaiah. He's in control. He knows exactly what's going on. He knows exactly what's going on in our lives. And that he's in control. And he's waking up America. And look at what the Bible says. You know, sometimes we wonder why God has allowed certain things. Look what the Bible says here. He's sovereign. He's in control. You may think he's not in control. This fallen world, he's allowing things to happen. He, Satan cannot do anything without God saying, okay, I'll let you do that. But look what it says. I am the Lord. There is no other. Beside me there is no other God. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun, there is no one beside, no one like God. I am the Lord and there is no other. The one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. We don't know why God sends a tsunami. Tsunami. We don't know why God sends a hurricane. But this passage tells us this God that we have, he will send it. Why does God allow us to have things like COVID? Things like earthquakes. What is God saying through this? And there are a lot of people who conjecture. You go to Larry King, some of his old, and you see pastors on there trying to tell well, the fallen world, and and this is all part of the fallen world. It's a natural. Yeah, that's part of the answer, but it's not the whole story. There's a greater answer here. Yes, God allows disasters, yes, God sends disasters. Things as Job knew. Yes, we're under the curse of God and therefore we can get cancers. There is violence in our streets and there are evil people and there are sinful people who are selfish enough to take another person's life. That's all part of the answer. But there's a bigger answer to it too. And that's a hard one to realize that God has it all in his plan. And there's a purpose behind everything that happens in our lives. Sometimes for us as believers, for sure, it's for us to be discipled and God to train us and teach us things that we're doing that we need to get rid of. There are other times it's not for us, but that people are watching you, Christian, how you're handling it and trusting God, even though they're thinking, why would he trust God if that's that's happened to Dave's life? To be a witness. Notice what it says. Causing well-being and creating calamity. God is saying that he... Provides not only prosperity for us, but he also creates disaster in our lives. I was with a man this past week and his wife had died, and I was trying to console him, and he couldn't get beyond the idea that he had to have done something that caused his wife to die, and that it was his fault and it was his sin. And it wasn't true. There are under extenuating circumstances why God allowed that in his life. And God doesn't afraid to say he takes personal responsibility for problems that happen in our lives, he causes them. Sometimes he allows them from our own foolishness. And in and, and the Bible, folks, it's amazing how far his sovereignty goes. You think about it. This passage in Exodus is amazing because you sit there and you go, God does that too? He makes people blind. He makes people not be able to speak with their tongue, mute. God allows and causes deformities in people? (sighs) Really? Listen to what he says in Exodus to Moses. The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? And who makes him deaf and mute? Who gives him sight and makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Well, that's pretty powerful. And yet we know by trusting him that the Bible says that all those types of things happen for the purpose of the good who those who love him and are called according to his purpose. How could my nephew, who is in law school, been legally blind since four years old. Why would God do that? Why? Because he's got a purpose. And that young kid is overcoming his disability. Even though he can't drive, he's becoming an attorney. And he's done well. And even though he has difficulty seeing, God is using him. In fact, he got the highest in the class on financial legal law in his class at law school. And God is using that. That God ordains, the Bible says, how the oceans run. And God calls us to accept both the good and the troubling things. And see, that's where our faith comes in. That's where we really trust in him. That's the eternal valuable here, the value. Everything. There's not a third cause. Either God caused it or God allowed it. If he's sovereign, he's over everything. And he doesn't make mistakes. The Bible says to us in Romans chapter 11, how unsearchable his judgments and his baths beyond and his paths beyond reaching how we don't know but he has a good reason and because we trust this god who created us who redeemed us who called us by name who gave himself for us we can trust him even when we hurt. And I don't like being hurt. I know none of us do. But it happens. Hudson Taylor was a tremendous missionary. Loved the Lord. But in 1900 to 1901, the Chinese had what was called the Boxer Rebellion. And they were killing Christian missionaries left and right we even have in our church a relative of a husband and wife who the chinese had come to their hut put them out in the middle of the square and shot them in the back of their heads as they were praying to god and their little baby was back in the hut only six months old and left there to die but praise god for chinese christians pastors Who snuck in late at night and stole that baby out of that hut and sent it by underground to Europe and then to America in Patterson, New Jersey, and saved that baby's life. But in that time, Hudson Taylor, who was in charge of this thing called the Chinese Inland Mission, which was a Christian outreach organization of missionaries reaching the Chinese, And all the news was coming to him that his missionaries were being murdered by the Chinese communists. He said, I can't read. I can't even think. I can't even pray. That's how grief-stricken he was and he knew that as he groaned for these missionaries who were under his command, who he loved and saw their love for Jesus die and he had a hard time and the only thing he had as solace was is that he knew that as he groaned in his heart, the Holy Spirit would take his hurt and bring it to Jesus, to the Father and comfort him And he said, the only thing I can do is trust God. That's all. I can't even read, I can't think, I can't even pray. But I know he has a purpose in this. And how God gave him the peace through this horrible, horrible situation. And that's why folks, that's what God's calling Israel. Judah and us, not to fear but to trust him no matter what so that we can have the peace of God that passes all this understanding. You see, last week you sang Amazing Grace. Do you remember that second verse? That's the verse that this is about. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. His grace has brought me safe thus far. And his grace will lead me home. That's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ who will bring us home into glory on that day. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray that as we leave here today and as the struggles we go through in life, that we realize, Lord, they're for a purpose. That you love us. you care for us you created us you call us by name as your children and you redeem us help us to hear your voice to make the changes that we need to make and especially Lord when we're so fearful that we can trust you no matter what and to know that you have our best at stake that is from the view of eternity and help us to absorb that and live it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's rise and receive the benediction of our Lord and sing our closing song. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God your Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that is in you to mold you and to lift you, be with you all. Amen. Praise God.